Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Welcome. This is the fourth in the series called Established. The focal scripture is found in John 13, 1 through 17. Here is Pastor Mark Hashigan with today's message entitled Serving God. Stay tuned to the end for the challenge of the week. Good morning, church family. Good morning, church family here, and good morning online. Your master, his masterpiece. Don't you love that? Anybody look in the mirror this morning and said, I'm God's masterpiece. No. Why not? <laughs> Miss Ellen has got children's church today. She's ready for you. I think. For the rest of you, we are going to be reading again out of the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And this is a beautiful piece of scripture when we get there. So again, we're going to continue on in our series. This will be our fourth, uh, our fourth installment in our series called Established. We're talking about what it means to have a relationship with God, what it means to, to build this close relationship, not just knowing the things about God, but actually getting to know God on a personal level. Each week we've been looking at different things that God has given us to grow in, in, in our relationship with Him. First week we talked about knowing God and how we could know God. The second week we learned about how we could hear from God even today and last Sunday we delved into talking with God through our prayer life anybody pray last week I mean I don't mean when that car pulled out in front of you and you slammed your brakes on I mean I mean really prayed let me start by asking today what's the American dream what is the American dream Better yet, what's the American dream to you? We live in a capitalistic society that focuses on what? On money and power. And whoever dies with the most toys wins, right? Is, isn't that the way w most of us live? Or, or, you know, even if you don't admit it, that's what we look for. We look for stuff. Some of us, even here today, have a skewed idea of what success means in America. The American dream is what draws millions of people to our country every year. But back in Jesus' day, they didn't have an American dream. Why? Because there wasn't no America, right? They had the Roman dream. And the Roman dream is a little bit different than the American dream, but not so different. Not a whole lot has changed in humanity in the last 2,000 years. Back in the time uh, of Rome and its power, there was a hierarchy that existed. A class system that was part of the Roman culture. We have our own class system in the United States, right? We have the rich, we have the middle class, and we have the poor, right? <clears throat> whether the people on Capitol Hill believe that or not. That's another sermon. The goal 
in Rome was to move up in the class system, to do all that you could. At the very top of the class system was, of the Roman dream was, um, was Caesar, the, the position of Caesar. And being Caesar meant, meant that you were the king of kings, they thought. Right below the, the, the next rung on that ladder underneath Caesar was the partisan, uh, partisan class. And that was made up of the wealthy, influential landowners and their families. Actually, b below Caesar, I'm sorry, was the, was the Senate. The Senate where, where the politicians, um, there were 600 men in their families that made up that class. Then there were the patricians. They were followed by uh, the equestrians. The equestrians were property owners, but they didn't want anything to do with politics. They, they were more about making money in their businesses. Next was the plebeian class on the ladder. That would be most of us. That was the working class people. These were the, the skilled laborers, laborers and, and uh, they had no substantial wealth. Next was the freed slaves. That made up this, the bottom part of the, of the plebeian class. Now these, uh, these people were, were freed as slaves. Either they bought their freedom or, or they were granted their freedom or they worked their freedom off to, so they could uh, be, be, move up in the classes. The last rung on the, of the Roman ladder in society was the slave or the servant. This was the, 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 most, uh, the worst position to be in in the class system. These were the people that were often either prisoners of war or some other tragic life event made them servants to the upper classes. Now Jesus in chapter 13 of John is going to take this hierarchy, this class system that would have been impacting the community all around them, impacting the, the way that they thought, the kinds of goals that they had, and Jesus is going to flip that whole thing around. He's going to make it all upside down and help us understand truly what life is about. So let's read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And God's Word says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, and he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now just put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus is knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh unto he Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus answers him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed indeed needeth not save to, 
to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye that what I have done for you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as often as do as I have done to you. And verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than, than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I know that's a long passage, but you have to get it all. You have to know exactly what was going on. If you remember when we first started this, we talk about context when we read the Bible. So sometimes you have to read a little bit before you can put it all together. In John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. In just a few short hours, Jesus is going to be betrayed by one of his own one of his closest friends, one, one of his disciples, one of, one of the twelve apostles. And we know his name is Judas Iscariot. We know that, that Jesus is going to be arrested in a few hours. That he's going to be put on trial. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified within the next 24 hours. He knows that. The timing of this is really important of what Jesus has done in this passage of Scripture. Because he knows what's going to happen. He knows that his time has come. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And this is the end of his earthly life. In verse 2 it says, The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Jesus, Judas, the son of, of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. See, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. All things were under his power. Everything. He had the power of God because he was God, right? So, Jesus even had under his power the hierarchy of the Roman world. From the servant all the way up to Caesar was under his power. And Jesus, he understood that he was above all of that. He knows what it meant for all power and all authority given to God. And even though the people at the time would call Caesar the king of kings... We know that Jesus was the true King of kings and Lord of lords. That's capital K, capital L. I almost did that sign language. Did you see that? <laughs> I probably spelled it wrong. But Jesus knew that. The true Lord of lords. 
Jesus knew that everything was under his power, that, that the world was his footstool. Right? All things. So he knows all that, and what does he do in our scripture today? Verse 4 says he got up from his meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And he began washing his disciples' feet. The King of Kings, God, Emmanuel. Washing his disciples' feet and drying him, their feet with the towel that was wrapped around them. Close your eyes for one second. Close your eyes and try to imagine God washing your feet. If you can't wrap your head around that, then, then try to imagine the person that you respect the most, that you love the most on this earth, washing your feet. Jesus, with all his divine power, this is what he chose to do with his power. It just doesn't make any sense to us, does it? I mean, everybody's supposed to be serving him. He's at the top of the food chain. But Jesus does this radical thing. I mean, it was unexpected. It was shocking. He gets up from the table takes off his clothes, uh, not all of his clothes, he kept his undergarments on, Pick, picks up a towel, wraps it around his, his waist, fills up a basin with water. He does exactly what servants were, would do back then. He kneels down. God, kneeling down in front of them and begins to wash their feet. Now, I don't know what picture you have of God in your head. Maybe you have that the picture of, of the Old Testament where he, he's this angry judge who's, who's just out there, you know, trying to, to wait and, and see to, you know, for you to mess up so that he could th throw some judgment on you. Maybe he's going to throw a lightning bolt down on you. I don't know. Maybe that's the picture you have of God. Or maybe you see God reclining in his lazy boy, not really caring or paying much attention to what was going on in your life. But Scripture says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, all you got to do is look at Jesus. In this moment, Jesus takes on the form of a servant. He's wrapping a towel around his waist. This is the picture of God, of who God is. He's revealing the form of God as a servant. Have you ever thought of God as a servant in your life? Ever? No. We think of him as God, right? He's big. He's powerful. He's the king. He's over everything. Have you ever thought of God as a servant? And yet, here it is in Scripture that we've all read before. He's revealing the form of God as a servant. That's what Jesus was doing. God in his very nature. 
This is who he is. God came to serve and to save. And who did he come to serve? Well, in that room that day, there were 13 people. It was Jesus and his 12 apostles, right? One of those disciples we just read about is, is Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Even if you've never been to church but the, the first half hour that you've been here, you probably heard the name Judas, right? You're familiar that Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus. In our passive, passage of Scripture, Jesus knows that Judas is about to betray him. Yet, Jesus kneels with his towel around his waist and begins to wash the feet of the betrayer. Also in that room was Peter. Before the sun would rise, Peter would deny Jesus three times. And Jesus knew it. He would deny that he even knew him. He was ever associated with him. And yet Jesus does what? He goes to his knees and washes the feet of his denier. He goes to the feet of Thomas, the doubter. And who would say, you know, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead until I see him. And he washes his feet. He serves those who didn't deserve to be served. Jesus serves those who rejected him, those who would betray him, those who would deny him, those that would doubt him. Yet he humbles himself. Now if you notice in this message, humility has been part of rooting ourselves in, in, with God. And here Jesus gives us this beautiful picture where he humbles himself. There's something that we often miss here in this passage. Jesus, we're told, takes the towel, he wraps it around his waist, right? And then he goes to the feet of these disciples. Now, we all know that they didn't wear Nike tennis shoes back then, right? They didn't, they didn't wear boots, they wore sandals, or they went barefoot. The roads were not made of asphalt, they weren't made of concrete, they were made of dirt, right? On those dirty roads would also be all kind of animals tracking down those roads, so there would be animal droppings everywhere. And depending on how big the, the, the crowd was in the city, with, with different cultures coming in, in there, some of the cultures back then, and even today, would do their business on the side of the street. They didn't have bathrooms everywhere. So these disciples, along with Jesus, would walk down these streets, their feet would get dirty, and they would have all kinds of stuff on their feet, wouldn't they? I'm sure that, that at some point in time you get used to walking in that stuff. You got to shake it off and keep on walking, right? All that stuff they had picked up on their feet as they walked through town. And Jesus goes and he washes their feet and dries them with the 
same towel that he keeps wrapped around his waist. Now, he could have taken that towel off. I mean, if we're to be honest and somebody put a dirty foot up like that in front of us, what we're going to do? We are not going to have that touch ourselves. We're going to take that towel off and we're going to go like this. Just stay right there. But Jesus chose at that moment, not just to give us an example to follow, but also he gave us a picture of who he is and what he's doing. He takes all of the filth, all of the junk from the feet of these men, and he takes it and he wears it himself. Now, this towel would have to be filthy, wouldn't you think? There's nothing in here that indicates that he would have changed that towel out. And Jesus chooses to clothe himself in that towel. The gospel means good news. And brothers and sisters, if this isn't a picture of the gospel, I don't know what is. The gospel is that when you and I are covered in filth, that is our sin. Because we're all dirty, right? We can, there's no mistake about that. We're all covered in, in our, the gross filth and sickness of our sin. And still Jesus came. He met us where? Right where we were. He humbled himself. He knelt down. He took our filth unto himself. And he did that through the cross. He took all that filthy stuff that we picked up and carried around with us. He took it and wore it on himself. And in that moment, we have this beautiful picture that when you and I couldn't clean ourselves of the filth that we have made, God came and took it upon himself to wear it. Isn't that a beautiful picture? This is what makes Christianity different than any other faith on the planet. It's not about cleansing ourselves. It's not about us figuring it out, working it out on our own. It's about God meeting us where we are and us allowing him to simply wash our feet to cleanse us of our sin. It's that simple. The scripture says that, that Jesus gets to Peter in verse 6 and Peter sees what's going on. He's going, he's going around, you know, Jesus is going around cleaning people's feet, right? This is, this is their teacher, their, their rabbi. You know, the head guy of the group. And Peter's going, I ain't comfortable with this, Jesus. You're not going to wash my feet. I don't know if I could receive this from you. You're the Christ. You're the, you're the one that's been promised all throughout Scripture. You're God in flesh. I can't allow you just to wash my feet. Then Jesus says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but you're going to know later. You're going to understand. 
No, said Peter. Peter wasn't having Jesus wash his feet. He says, you will never wash my feet. Think about that for one second. You're standing in front of Jesus and you tell Jesus, no. How many times have we told Jesus no? This week. Maybe even this morning. Maybe you told Jesus no on something. Peter's going, no, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus pipes up and he says with, I'm sure, a firm voice, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. If you don't let me do this, then you can't be a part of this. He put it right on the line, didn't he? Jesus says, unless I wash you, Peter, unless I do this, you can have no part of me. Then what does Jesus do? He switches gears and he goes, well then, Lord, then don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and my head. Just give me a shower. Give me a bath. Give me the whole spa treatment. I'll take the mani and the petty. I'll take it all. Let's scrub down the whole thing. I want to make sure I don't miss on any of this blessing. What Jesus is teaching us in this moment, and I love that, that John recorded so much detail in, this, in, in, in chapter 13 here. He's saying that here's where the Christian life begins for all of us. Any person who's ever walked this planet that's accepted Christ, here is where it begins. It begins by allowing Jesus to serve us. We know that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that he's Emmanuel. The Christian life begins by allowing Jesus to meet us where we are. To cleanse us of the dirt, the filth. Jesus said, Peter, you don't get it, but you're going to get it. You'll understand this eventually, but you have to allow this. You've got to let me do this. You have to humble yourself enough to allow me to serve you in this way. And so Peter goes, okay, that's fine. You can do it. He lets him. Christian life, brothers and sisters, begins with us allowing Jesus to serve us. But it doesn't end there. It shouldn't end there. Christian life, practically speaking, is learning to receive that love, that grace, that mercy of Christ. But then the second part is learning to give it away. See, that's where we fail so much. We come to grips with taking the love of Christ, that grace, that, that sacrifice, and, and that salvation. But we don't give it back. We don't give it to anybody else. Jesus continues in verse 12. When, he, when he'd finished washing their feet, he, he put his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and that's, and that's right. For that's what I am. 
Jesus is saying, I am above all of the hierarchy. I am above everything. I am higher than Caesar. You call me Lord and you're right on. In verse 14 he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Because I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. And he says, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, if you do them, you'll be blessed. Now Jesus could have put a period on right there, couldn't he? He could have stopped her right there. He could have gone, man, now that, that you know these things, now that you understand that I've given you the example and you can serve others the way that I've served you, now that you know that, you guys are good. You guys are all set. You can take it to the bank. You're welcome. But it doesn't end there. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed. You will be blessed when? If you do them. Now we talked a little bit about this last week, right? Not just knowing what God tells us to do, what Jesus sets the example, but for us to apply it to our lives. See, this doesn't work as a story because this is an instruction manual for each of us. The Bible is an instruction manual, and it, it doesn't, it's nothing but a story until we apply it to our life. Jesus says here is where the blessing comes from, not just by hearing it, not just by knowing it, but actually taking action, doing something about it. Do something with what I'm showing you, what I'm teaching you. He says if you do this, you're going to be blessed. That's a promise, isn't it? You know, how many times what the percentage for Jesus is about making promises and, and fulfilling them? You know what his per percentage is of doing it? 100%, right? 100% of the time, he's right on. He's there. He makes a promise. If you truly put this stuff into action, you're going to be blessed. And it's kind of a formula. It starts with God's Word. It's that information. It's knowing what God says about who He is. That's right here, right? Where we find out who we are. We find that all in the Bible. But it's not just about knowing that information. It's also about applying that information. Information plus application in the context of relationships is how we grow and how we certainly grow towards God. In a relationship with God, it's not about knowing what to do. It's about actually putting it into practice. That's what Jesus is telling us, doing what God's Word says. Here Jesus put, puts it so clearly. It's great if you know these things. It's all right. It's good that you know them. But you're going to be blessed if you do them. He's telling us, I want you to go out and serve others. 
Now, some of us have the attitude, well, I serve God. I do what God tells me to do the best that I can do. But Jesus says, serve the people around you. And by serving the people around you, you serve God. Serving God is serving your neighbor. See, he connects these two things. Serving God means serving others. It's that simple. Do you make that connection in your life? Or do you think serving God is showing up here on a Sunday morning? Putting your hour and a piece in and then see you for the rest of the week. Do you think serving God is reading his word? Putting it down and not remembering one jot or tittle. Is that serving God? Jesus tells us, serve your neighbor. Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40, Jesus gives us the greatest commandment. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Who's thy neighbor? Everybody. Everybody. It's not just the people that live in the house next to you. He makes this connection that the way we love an invisible God is to show our love by loving and serving our visible neighbor. That's so simple, isn't it? Isn't that so simple? All we got to do is help one another. Yes, we have to help the people we don't like. Yes, I know you don't like that. But don't you love to be blessed by God? Don't you think that God is going to give you a special blessing if you serve someone you don't particularly care for? Now Jesus has set this up and, and, and we serve all kind of, of places, all kind of opportunities that he gives us. And we can serve in the church, we can serve in our community, we can serve in our workplace, in the marketplace, we can serve in our homes. We have opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity every day to serve others. Jesus says when we do that, when we're a blessing to others, then he's going to bless us. Now, I don't know. This world is full of bumps and bruises. Do any of you got too many blessings? Is any of you over-blessed that you just want to just let, let all these blessings go to the side? You got, you got your bank of blessings is, is overflowing, you know? You have to take out another account. See, I don't know anybody that, I mean, we all are blessed, don't, don't get me wrong. But do you ever feel like you, you, you don't need any more Jesus' blessings? Love is the process of meeting needs, brothers and sisters. It's action-oriented. It's not about emotion. It's not about feelings. It's about humbling yourself enough to serve somebody else. 
to give your time, your talents, your treasure. The reason why I believe Jesus could serve so freely is that he was confident in who he was. He knew that he was God, that he was Emmanuel. He knew exactly who he was. He wasn't worried about serving other people or having other people serve him. He wasn't worried about what other people thought about him. He knew who he was and where he was going, and so he was free to serve. Think about that for one second. Do you know where you're going? Do you know who you belong to? Are you a Christian? When you leave this earth, do you know where your home is? Is that any less different than where Jesus is at this point? No. We know we're children of God. He was God's only son. We know that we have a home in heaven. That's where he lives. What do we worry about all this other stuff? When he makes it so simple, serve one another. If you said yes to following Christ, if you put your trust and allowed him to cleanse you, to wash you, then you're a child of God. You're adopted into his family. You're his masterpiece. You were created to serve those around you, and you're free. Amen. Free from the penalty of sin, free to serve those around you because you know who you are. See, if you don't know, if you can't memorize Scripture, if you have an issue with trying to evangelize verbally and, and, and to talk to have that conversation, how do people see you? They see what you do. They see how you act while you're doing it. If you're serving someone with a humble heart, people are going to see Christ. If they know that you belong, if you're a child of God, and they see your joy in serving others, then they're going to see Jesus. Really? You never know what God might do through the simple act of service in somebody else's life. But also in your own life, Jesus knows that he, what he's talking about. When Jesus makes this promise, he says, pay attention. Here in this, in this passage of scripture, Jesus ends his in interaction with his disciples in verse 34 of John 13. And he says, a new command I give you. He just finished washing their feet, right? They're all kind of in shock still. They're all trying to figure out, did this just happen? He says, love one another. Now, if you study the Old Testament, you realize that this isn't a new command. This command's been around a long time at this point. In Deuteronomy 6.5 and in Leviticus 9.18. Jesus just paraphrases it. And, G and he continues on. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another as I have loved you, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it. The betrayer, the denier, the doubter, I loved you. 
I met you right where you are. I took your filth upon myself. And that's the kind of self-sacrificial love that ultimately would take Jesus to the cross and give everything so that you and I might live forever in heaven. He says that that kind of love is the kind that you should have for one another. As I have loved you, so you have to love one another. By this, everybody's going to know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see how easy that is? Love. God is love. And every person who said yes to following Jesus would come, would follow the example and go, I'm going to serve everybody. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to meet the needs where I see them. If we did that, could you imagine what our world would be like? Just the little part that we, that we are a part of. Jesus says people are going to notice that. And because we live in a world that's all about I want to be served, right? I want to be served. I want to sit down in a chair. I want to relax. I want to live that American dream. Brothers and sisters, it's okay to sit once in a while. But what Jesus is helping us to break free from that lazy boy mindset by telling us that we're to have the same mindset as he did. He didn't consider equality with God something to be clung to. Something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a servant. Didn't you think servants were at the bottom of the list? When you were growing up as a kid, you, you, know, you looked at servants and you always, let's be honest, we always thought that they were something lower than us. I just knew that I didn't want to be a servant. I became a car salesman. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Some people think that's below a servant. <laughs> on, on a lot of different levels. <clears throat> but Jesus, he takes and he flips the whole list upside down. Jesus says, greatness comes not from being served, but from serving others. He humbled himself even to the point of the cross. The lowest of the low. Lower than being a servant would have been being hung on a cross and crucified publicly. But Jesus says, I'll go all the way to the cross to serve you. To love you. He says, I want you to take this example and I want you to follow it. He doesn't make it a commandment. Do you notice that? He doesn't, doesn't make it an ordinance for the church. He wants us to do it because he gives us the free will, because we want to do it. And certainly, brothers and sisters, we can serve without loving, can't we? A lot of you in here have jobs where you're serving the public. 
the public just ain't a whole bed of roses, is it? There's a whole lot of thorns in there. Love is the process of meeting needs. See, we can serve without loving, but we cannot love without serving. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody. Don't serve because you feel guilty, because then it's just not going to work. You can serve with the wrong reasons. You can serve with the wrong motives. Serve because you know who you are. You're a child of God. You're a follower of Christ. You know who you belong to. And he's inviting you into that experience. An experience that is something great. Serve because you don't want to miss out on the reward that Jesus promises. If you do these things, Jesus tells us, what? You will be blessed. The word blessed that Jesus uses is, is a Greek word that means the deepest level of soul satisfaction. Have you ever felt that? Think about that. That's, a, that's something for you to examine this coming week. Have you ever felt the deepest soul satisfaction in your life? When Jesus says, if you do these things, you're going to be blessed, he says, in a way that nothing in this world can can compare to. In a way that in, it's in the very deepest part of your soul. He's saying, you're going to be blessed. Trust me. True soul satisfaction is totally upside down of the American dream, isn't it? Because the American dream is full of stuff. But what Jesus has for us is full of love. True soul satisfaction, brothers and sisters, I assure you, is found in serving others. You're never going to be more like Jesus than when you give and you serve. The Christian life, practically speaking, is learning to receive the love, the grace, the mercy of Christ, and then giving it away. Are you ready to serve? Are you ready to serve God for real? Let's pray. Father, this morning we... We see this beautiful example and, and as we take apart your word and we see the significance of what Jesus did in serving his, his followers, we come to the realization that we are his disciples also and that what he did on this earth for those men, those 12 men in that room that night that he did in the flesh that he did for us on the cross. Lord, our souls, our hearts should be humble to the point, thankful to the point that all we want to do is to be like him, to be like Jesus. 
So, Father, that's my prayer this morning, is that, that as we go through this series, that we become more and more like Christ. We have that thirst, that hunger, that desire to be more like Jesus. He gives us the example of servitude and serving others. I pray our heart becomes bent towards that. I pray that our selfishness disappears, that your Holy Spirit leads us closer to be like Christ. I thank you, Father, for your Son, that he made us heirs to the throne by accepting him, that you gave us that opportunity, that you opened up, up heaven when he died on that cross and his blood washed away our sins. That you gave us a place to stay when he was resurrected and defeated death three days later. That lets us know that we too, as your children, are welcome into heaven. That we, are, we will also be resurrected. Father, the blessings just keep on coming. We thank you for your word and the lessons that it, it brings to us. Give us that servant heart, Father. We love you, we honor you, we praise you. And we pray it all in that name, that holy name, that most precious name, the name of Jesus. All God's children said, amen. And so as we prepare to, to finish, we're going to sing another song. The team will come up. We're going to give you the opportunity to come up and pray by yourself if you like or with one of the gentlemen to be up here with me. Um, you can, and, and, and I always tell you, you know, and I don't think you believe me but because you don't come, but, but you know, if people, if you walk up here, if you don't let your pride get in your way and you come up here, you got something weighing on your heart, people are not going to talk about you. They ain't going to, Missy must have something going on in her life. She needs prayer, you know. They're going to they're gonna say, I don't know what she's got going on, but we're going to pray. God knows, and we're going to pray for her. You want that. Don't you want to have people praying for you? So don't let pride get in the way. Come and pray with us. If you want to join the church, the door is open. We can use you. But it's always, and I know this sounds like a broken record, and some preachers would probably already stop this after 15 years of doing this, but I'm giving you an opportunity to come up and accept Jesus. Because we have questions. Sometimes we don't think that we've made that decision. Sometimes we wonder where our eternity is going to be. If you, if, if, if you have that question, it's okay. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been coming to church. You've heard that saying that, you know, uh, uh, being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being at McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Right? Same idea. You got to be here all the way. Your relationship with Christ has got to be real. If you don't think it's real, if you have any questions, come and accept Jesus. Isn't it great to think of us being in the garden and Jesus being there with us? You know, like the Garden of Eden, you know, God has given us this life.
It doesn't seem like the Garden of Eden to us because of all the troubles, all the darkness. But if God is with us, who can stand against us? If we know that he's part of our life, why do we let things get to us? And when we let things get to us, guess who else it affects? Everybody else around us, right? Don't you want people to know Christ, to know Jesus? You don't have to be a Bible scholar, because I certainly am not. All you have to do is act like them. We can all do it. Everybody can, can, can serve each other. So this week, this is what I want you to do. This is your challenge. I want you to make a list of every time that you missed an opportunity to serve. Not to put a guilt trip on you, but I want you to see, become aware of how many times God gives you an opportunity to serve others. Because it's a whole lot more when we think about it. Now, what do I mean by serving each other? A prayer, a phone call, a note, a smile in a grocery store instead of a frown. A call to somebody you hadn't talked to in a long time. And yes, if you feel the need, wash their feet. S write down those opportunities that you might have passed out. And see if that doesn't make your heart yearn to look for them more often. Can you do that? I think that you can. God bless you. I love you. If you have anything going on and you need me, please call. Have a blessed and wondrous week. Because... He's coming again. Amen. It might be tomorrow. It might be now. <laughs> we you, don't want to be left. You, you, guys were, you guys were looking. How many guys went like this? I ain't changing that. ain't going to be me. Let's be ready. God bless you. We do hope that you were blessed by the, the message today. First Baptist Welcome has Sunday worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. Check us out at firstbaptistwelcome.com for all our services. We are located at 6735 Port Tobacco Road or Route 6 in Welcome, Maryland. That's First Baptist Welcome, where Jesus will meet you where you are, but never leave you there.